yeah, so the license arrangement, it's a very, um, you basically get to use the name and you use the brand and that's it. You know, uh, franchise, you get more, franchisor has a lot more control. When I say control is we can mandate whatever we want to per the contract we sign. Now we have to disclose everybody, but uh, with a franchise, we can help you with marketing support. We can help you with operationally support you. We can help you with um, just all aspects of the business. When it's a license, you have to do that yourself. Hello, I'm Jim Fox, and welcome to the Lumen Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. This episode of the Lumen Innovation Podcast is brought to you in part by... The Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. 20 different flavors of pecans to choose from. In-shell pecans, cracked pecans, shell pecan halves, or perhaps you have a sweet tooth that you need to satisfy. Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company has you covered. They've got milk chocolate pecans, honey glaze, pumpkin spice, white chocolate, and yes, even habanero pecans. Don't forget about their pecan pies and fudge as well. If you live anywhere in Central Texas, stop by their shop at 2626 Highway 71 West in Cedar Creek. If you live anywhere else, keep in mind that they mail pecans all over the country. Give them a call at 1-800-518-3870 or go to birdall.com. That's B-E-R-D-O-L-L.com. All of the pecan products are grown, prepared, and cooked right there in Cedar Creek by the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. Welcome to the Luminovation Podcast. I'm Jim Fox, and we're recording outside today in League City, Texas. Recording outside for the first time. We're here at Walter Hall Park, and man, the weather is amazing and beautiful. Our guest today is Robbie Marlowe. He is one of the co-founders of a national chain of fitness centers called Delta Life Fitness. Welcome to the show, Robbie. What's up? Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on here. It was kind of a short notice, but it is a pretty day out here in the park. And uh, Indeed yeah. it is. Give us the, the big picture, uh, real quick, uh, quick and dirty version of what is Delta Life Fitness. So Delta Life Fitness, we're a women's group fitness franchise. Uh, we started here in Texas, and uh, we're up to 30 units open or under development. Uh, we're uh, a group uh, fitness franchise, like I said, geared towards women. Uh, we're boutique-type studio, so if you ever heard of the big ones in the space right now, Orange Theory, Cycle Bar, those guys, we're looking to compete with them on that level. Uh, okay, what are uh, so, you, yeah, you're women's only. What are some of the unique things that you guys either choose to do or have to do because you're targeting that very specific demographic? Yeah, so w- with us uh, being women's only, we know who our customer is, and we're able to build the studio just for them. So our three uniques that we kind of go by is, one, is we have child care. We get kind of geared towards the busy mom. That's actually kind of cool. I've never heard of that before on yeah. the smaller ones. Yeah, the, part, the, the the woman that always puts her family first. My wife's one of those, um, and mm-hmm. she was always looking for a place to work out, couldn't with child care. She liked the, the CrossFit, the rough, the group training, which kind of grabs community, but uh, child care was a big thing that they ever had. So that's one thing we have. We have 30-minute classes. So we have 30-minute classes. They're able to come in, get a great workout, and get out and be able to tend to the rest of their day. It's hard to really cut out an hour to two hours. It you is. think driving yeah. to the gym doing the workout, leaving and going back home, that could be an hour up to a, if it's an hour class, it could be two hours that somebody's cutting out their day. They say that's the number one reason why somebody don't stick with their weight loss goals. So we're able to get max amount of results in 30 minutes. So that's the second of our uh, uniques. And the third one is um, we got 30-minute classes. We're child care and we're built for women. We know who our customer is. So all of our workouts are geared towards what a woman would want, what the uh, what the new hip things are for ladies. So you're not going in there. You're not doing curls. You're not doing uh, snatches like you would do in a typical gym. These gyms are actually built for women and what they like. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm going to show my ignorance here. Uh, Zumba was kind of uh, the big hot thing a few years back and probably is still around in some form. But is that an example, even though it's now dated, is that an example that something kind of more demographic specific that, that was more – Women really, then you're doing maybe things like that? Yeah, so with Zumba, they're all great. You know, you can go to all fitness things and look at Zumba. As long as something's getting people out of the couch and doing stuff, it's great. I think Zumba is just naturally, group fitness is just naturally geared, to, geared towards women. Uh, women like to do group fitness. Now, you're seeing a lot more, they're called, uh, what, brogies, bros that are into yoga. Uh, are, uh, so you're seeing a trend with the men getting into group fitness. But naturally, you know, most group fitness places are 80 75 to 80 percent women so we just took that we've seen that we're able to make our product exactly for women because we know who they are we're able to market to them we're able to uh, 
to build the product for them. We're able to make the facility just for them, and that's why we gear towards women. Okay, very cool. And uh, I th I, when I was trying to figure out a place to uh, to do this, the uh, park came to mind for a couple reasons. One, the weather is amazing. And two is this is very similar to how you got started, right? Talk about uh, back up eight or nine or ten years and oh, yeah. talk about how this got started. Yeah, so I'll talk on uh, – so we have – I have a co I have a business partner, co-founder. His name's Josh Cherry. He was actually he's a retired Marine Corps pilot now, so he kind of uh, spearheaded the whole thing. I wasn't a fitness guy, you know. I was uh, I was a uh, electrical um, designer by trade, uh, but somehow um, me and Josh got together. He was doing the fitness thing, and I, I ended up getting into fitness. I ended up losing a lot of weight. I ended up getting I had high blood pressure. I was young. I was sitting behind a desk, um, and when you're when you're not healthy and when you're not that way, you kind of get. I don't know, I'm not saying depression, but you get grouchy, you're not feeling good about yourself, so you're miserable to be around. That's where I was at. So my wife's like, you got to do something. So, you know, I started eating healthy, started moving a lot, and then, you know, a couple months go down, I dropped 60 pounds. I feel amazing. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, I feel yeah. amazing. I'm running around with my kids. Um, I had one kid at the time, running around with my little girl. I just felt amazing. I felt, hey, you know, I'm going to change. I want to bring this to other people. So I started in a park. I uh, started a Facebook page. I printed out some flyers. This is 2013. This is early 2013. Uh, printed out some flyers. And I passed them around my hometown. And I thought, man, I'm really going to make a change in this community. So um, <clears throat> March 2013, first boot camp. So I, told, I talked to my mom and my cousin, her two ladies. I said, hey, y'all come out here. and uh, Kind of so build an artificial audience to get the, the ball rolling. Yeah, huh? so I wouldn't be the yeah. crazy guy in the park with yeah. some weights on the table. So you got a yeah. picture out in the park. I've got some weights sitting on a picnic table out there. And uh, my mom and cousin show up, so there's two people there. And then I had three more people show up. And that was kind of the start for me in the cool. fitness industry. Started with five people. Uh, you know, really making a big change in the community, but uh, I just really found a love for it. I did a little four-week boot camp. I was doing it before and after work, and then uh, did it the next week, and they referred some people. And I'm doing it a couple months in advance, and I had about 30 people out there when it came to about September. And then, you know, September starts getting cold, starts getting dark early. That's when me and my wife kind of ventured out and started a facility. Okay. So, Josh, your partner and also brother-in-law, he's uh, he did some training of this kind of stuff, but for the military. And so he's he's kind of spun that into more of the civilian world, and you've, you've kind mm -hmm. of— Maybe piggybacked a bit off of his experience and work together on this. Then. Yes, sir. So early on, it was me and him. We were doing a lot of it. Then we got our wives involved, uh, which they kind of spearheaded the product side of it now. And we're kind of working more on the franchise and growing that in, which I was more favorable to. I was always an entrepreneur from a young age. Yeah. Uh, always had an entrepreneur mind. It was either I was going to do something, didn't know what it was. So it happened to be fitness, women's fitness at that. But uh yeah, that's what that, this is my where I enjoy more my wheelhouse. Uh, my sister-in-law and my wife kind of enjoy the fitness part of it. They're kind of more of the face of the program. If you go into our facilities, the ladies on TV is doing the workouts. Mm -hmm. Are my wife and my sister-in-law? They create okay. the workouts. So uh, it's it's a it's it's a group. It's a family business with all four of us definitely I having see. our piece. So the, so you you and Josh are kind of the face of it, and that's kind of a maybe a unexpected mass to be the face of a women's fitness place. But you've got two the two mm -hmm. ladies right behind you working. Working, yeah. working at. Well, with our brand, we definitely don't want. <clears throat> you see, if you look at our marketing and you look at it, if you go to the website, you don't see me or Josh on it. And we want to make it really about building a community for women, a positive community for women at that. Yeah. Uh, so the more that um, that we can get it away from us and more about yeah. the program, I think is we're going to build a stronger brand at that. It takes a lot, especially for young men and women entrepreneurs, to be able to say, "Hey, it's not about us. It's about the program and it's about the brand." It's a, it's really a. It, it, you know, we've grown quite a bit in that area. So people are uh, out there trying to come up with their own, own idea of how to start a business, and there's tons of ideas and tons of ways to get going. Talk about some of the pluses and minuses that you've discovered with a partnership, not only with just a partnership with any partner, but also a family member, your brother-in-law. Yeah. Well, it's like Josh always says, Dave Ramsey said, the only ship that that uh, that don't float is a partnership. <laughs> I've heard him say that, yep. <laughs> I think if you look at most successful businesses, there's some type of partnership there. Uh, Microsoft, Steve Jobs, and Wozniak. If you look at all the great businesses that are built, you have one strong, somebody strong in each area. I think with a partnership, you have to definitely, and this is my take on it, one, you have to be very clear. Uh, E-Myth Revisited by uh, Michael Gerber is a good book to read okay. where you can kind of look at it and you can kind of split the duties. What are you good at? What am I good at? This is what you're responsible for. This is what I'm responsible for. And being from the start very clear of that. So you add that family element. Me and Josh and, and our families, we can't ever turn it off. You know, So that does add a uh, an element to it that's a little bit different. But I think clear communication, which is very awkward for everybody, sure. uh, and being okay where – I might be mad right now, but, you know. Yeah, don't take it personally. Yeah, just here's input. Yeah, because yeah, both our good. lives are at stake right here. We, we've risked everything. He 
retired from the Marine Corps. I quit my job. So there's a lot of, you know, we all got strong personalities, but clear communication, being clear on what you're responsible for, and really playing to your strengths, it really makes the partnership work. So uh, the sooner you kind of realize that, hey, we're in this together, you know, exactly. we'll, we'll get over being mad. Just let's, let's mm-hmm. get on with it. So that, I think being clear, and then a lot yeah. of it's going to have to take a seat back and, you know, uh, for definitely for everybody, just, you know, look at what you want in life and say, hey, I might have to do this for now. I might have to do that. Because not, not all work's fun. It's just not. Yeah. So no, you, that's, have to, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. to just, just uh, you know, pick it up and make sure that y'all both have the same goals and the same vision for the company and make sure you communicate that to each other. So right out of the gates, what were some of the responsibilities you took and some that he took? So just being, a, I was basically from the engineering field, uh, I took more of a um, operationally sound approach to it I, I deal with a lot better i look at the product right now i do a lot of the development so right now we say we sell a franchise i go in there i basically from soup to nuts uh general contractor all the way to the drawings all the way to the finish finish okay. touches the facility that's what i kind of do and so hands-on swinging hammers and all that kind of stuff uh, to get a new uh, i will if i have to you know I'm pointing fingers and more likely is it yeah, pointing, so pointing the, okay. making sure everything's where it's supposed to be making sure that every store looks the same because with a with a franchise especially with a brand that we want to keep we want to make sure when you walk into one it's like a mcdonald's and the earlier you can get that we're 30 units young uh, but the earlier we can set that foundation the better we're going to have when we start growing is that you're not going to have you know, what is this store, this thing, you know, we're trying to keep it where uh, if somebody opens right next to your territory, it's the same product, looks the same, same feel. So that's what we're really trying to protect the franchise. So you, mentioned, you mentioned McDonald's, which uh, brings to mind uh, what was the movie a couple years ago. Oh, The Founder? The Founder, yeah. So with the story of Ray Kroc, and, and I watched that, uh, I don't know, whenever it came out a couple years back, and, and it was entertainment, but I, I suspect that someone like you, actually, in some version, that's kind of a documentary. It actually told the story pretty well, yeah, I bet. Yeah, no, it, I think uh, really Ray Kroc is the, the father of franchising, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, we have to pay a lot of respect to him. And uh, McDonald's, if you look at what they've done, it's pretty amazing. And they've actually, you know, created the foundation for everything that we're doing right here. So, yeah, no, the, the movie was great. I think Ray Kroc, I mean, obviously it swayed one end or the other. You know, you never know what really happens. But, uh, you know, i got to take my hat off to him creating uh, what he created. Yeah, that movie kind of gave a, a, a good insight into the process and what that was like and all that. But So how early in the process did you realize that, hey, I don't want to be the one actually sitting in the uh, the gym and, and, and punching the buttons on the computer, but rather I want to be a franchise uh, operator? How, did, how early was that decision made to go to franchise as opposed to individual ownership? So we started out with a... Uh a license, you know, which where you just like a one-page license. And some of these early franchises you look at, Dairy Queen and those guys, they still got a one-page license, you know, just in perpetuity. So we started off as a license, kind of just selling territories. Um, ended up getting about 15 units, and we realized, like, hey, we have something here, uh, and we want, to, we want to be able to control a certain part of it. What I mean by that is uh, some people are really good at executing a playbook. Some people want to be players. Some people want to be the coach. Some people need to be led that way. Okay. And when you don't, if you look at like something like CrossFit, uh-huh. you never know what you're going to get when you go into a CrossFit. So it's up to the individual owners and coaches to set up the plan how they set want to. everything. Okay. So we really were looking at, we want to build a brand, and we want to build a brand that's great and that helps all these families. We don't, when somebody came into Delta Life, they came into Delta Life because they wanted the brand. They didn't want to create their own thing. So the more we help them out, the more successful they can be when they can just deliver a great product. So a customer could, in theory, kind of blindly walk into any one of the stores anywhere in the country and get this very similar experience. That's the goal. I see. That's that's the goal. I I see how you said that, that it doesn't always get get accomplished, but that's really what you're aiming for. It's a a work on both sides. It's us making sure that we have a clear vision and we we communicate that to the franchisee, and it's uh, the franchisee's responsibility to deliver the mission of the company. And we got to make sure they it just naturally hits a cone. When you stay on top of them, that cone shrinks, and when you don't, it widens. You know? I see, yeah. So we got to yep. make sure that, that those walls come in and we we all on the same page. Tell the listeners a bit about the differences uh, between license uh, arrangements and franchise arrangements. Yeah, so the license arrangement, it's a very uh, – you basically have to use the name, and you use the brand, and that's it. You know, uh, franchise, you get more – Franchisor has a lot more control. When I say control is we can mandate whatever we want to per the contract that you can sign. Now we have to disclose everybody, but uh, with a franchise, we can help you with marketing support. We can help you with operationally support you. We can help you with uh, just all aspects of the business. When it's a license, you have to do that yourself. 
And when we used to wear a license, we kind of started blending into that area because everybody wanted us to help them with marketing. Everybody wanted us to help them with that stuff. And when we realized that, we said, well, for us to best support the stores, let's go to a franchise. Got it. Okay, so licensing, uh, a person could pay the licensing fee and put a sign up on the front of the store and then run whatever they want behind whatever the sign, want. right? Yes, yes, sir. I see. And that's really not good for brand unity. Not and if you're the, trying to build something in the long run. I think, and not just the long run, I think operationally, too. I think if you're a part of the gym business, you realize even with CrossFit gyms, and I, I hate beating up on CrossFit because I think got me I, I love the brand crossfit but the, the, the crossfit's about building athletes a uh, little bit different than what we're trying to do but um you just don't know what you're going to do you got some great crossfit operators and some you don't and what, yeah. what is an example of a good and successful well-known um licensing business that we've all heard of is crossfit's one i'm going to go obviously i favor towards um fitness i think uh man probably some of these snow cone stands are probably more licensed than they are franchising i see okay you know uh, things that you you see more licensing is you see there's not con there's not a constant between the brands you know like something like McDonald's you go to McDonald's it looks like a McDonald's okay. uh, licensing is kind of so if that were a license arrangement you could sell pizza at a McDonald's. yeah you could do whatever you want I see okay what makes a, a good franchise owner what are some of the traits of a, a an owner that if you walk in and you meet them and you go oh man this is this is really the person for me or maybe not so much yeah, it's a good question and uh the, what we see is, so you, you have everybody on every spectrum. You have somebody that wants the most secure job in the world. I want to go to work. I want to have to worry about it. I want to be able to clock out. And, I, and then you have Steve Jobs, super entrepreneur, probably is not going to want to do his own thing. We want somewhere in the middle. I would, yeah, I would guess a pure entrepreneur is not a good match no, for you. No, we, we don't yeah. want somebody that wants to create their own thing. If you do, I recommend staying away from franchising because you're always going to have that battle internally yeah. of I want to do this. Uh, we want that person in the middle that wants something secure, that don't mind taking a playbook and delivering. It's kind of the player and coach analogy. I heard that uh, last week. A guy was like, I don't want to be the coach. I want to be the player. I want the playbook, and I want to be able to deliver on the playbook. And that's what we're looking for, somebody that wants to get something that's already been done and be able to execute on that. Okay, so now that the the, the uh, trick question. Um, so you, you're, you work today. You spent most of the today helping one of your franchise owners uh, kind of get their store up and re running and ready to open. Do you think you, you, saw, you yourself would make a good franchise owner? Uh. You know, part of me does because my engineering background, I do like having stuff already, you know, but uh, I am a pure entrepreneur. I think I was born an entrepreneur. Yeah. I was a born an entrepreneur in a family of uh, engineering. You're probably yeah. a rule breaker type personality, which would be maybe a bad franchise owner. Yeah. Because I, I'd like to say I could, I think I could be successful in it, but would I be happy? No, I don't yeah. think I'd be happy. I understand. Yeah, that's a different type of personality. What are the some of the metrics you use to to measure um, how good a franchise owner is doing, or perhaps how poorly they're doing? Yeah, so we do a lot of KPIs. KPIs are key performance indicators for okay. everybody out there that you know. And most businesses should have some type of KPIs, which you're which you're looking at. And that's in the gym business. We're a membership model business, so we don't have a lot of very. I was just talking to the restaurant owner from next to our store came over and talked to us, and I was explaining our business. I said we don't have a lot of variable cogs, cost of goods sold. Is when you buy a burger. You have to go buy the meat. With us, it's a membership model. We just put the stuff in. There's not a lot of variables. And then we know what break-even is. So we just our goal is to get the, as many members as we can to hit break-even as soon as possible and then start making money. So our what we look at is we look at uh, basically sets and shows, so calling people, lead sets and shows, um, and then recon, re, re, we basically somebody canceling and then renewing that cancellation. Uh, yeah. So our key we're looking at is how many people have you called, how many sets have you got, how many bills showed up, and then how many did you convert into a member? Sets meaning appointment sets. So they show up next yes, Tuesday at 3 and let's get yes, started. Sir. Okay, I see. Very cool. And so with those four or five metrics, you can pretty much just we, almost blindly say if that franchise is going to be successful Exactly. So what our goal is, our goal next year is basically get that where it's on basically a form they fill out every Friday. will automatically populate for us where we can look at every store that we have and we can start seeing trends every week where we can get in front of those lagging stores where we can know where to support them at. I see. Uh, okay. So we're trying to get an automated way of us being able to deliver training uh, without having to bug the franchisee. Well, how are you doing? How is this? And yeah. It, you know, so I, I, can, I can imagine that if one of those metrics is low, then you say, we'll send this video out to them. Or if it, this it, one's it, high, then they're doing well here. That's our goal for the franchises. How do we automate as much as we can without having to put a body on a body where they can do it at their time, we're not disrupting their business, and then we can actually do more with less. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. What are some of the um, 
the uh, both horror stories and success stories with with that that you've got a metric back and you think oh man these guys are really struggling or or holy smokes they've got their metrics so off the charts that we can learn from that that franchise owner yeah i think uh the main thing for us i think with facebook and instagram that's where we're really getting our a lot of leads from and we're spending it's right now just in the time we're in the ability to get business is you know it's a it's a real shake up right now with social media and the way we're doing things uh, the big thing for us is um, how many calls you're making. That's the biggest thing. How many calls and, and show, sets you're making. Okay. Because uh, usually that leads to people showing up, which leads to people buying. So we can really gauge a franchisee on, and we're getting better at this, on are you comfortable calling somebody seven to eight times? If they say they're not, then they're probably not going to be successful because they're not comfortable breaking through that barrier. Yeah, yep. You know, because it's just part of – uh, our business, you got to get somebody on the phone. You have to call because they're not. not be, there's a reason why they put their name in and said, "I want to know more information." You so where do they, where do they do that? So when you say calling someone seven or eight times, I mean we're all getting inundated on our cell phones with spam and either text messages or phone calls. But uh, but you're saying that they're entering their name or information somewhere. How how do you get that data? So we get it from. You, we do a lot of Facebook and Instagram marketing. You can do a lot of. Uh, and I'm not I'm not against like direct mail. Uh, and stuff like that, but just our business, where our cost per lead so cheap on Facebook right now and yep. Instagram, yep. we know where our customers at. It's hard to beat that. But we use lead pages, and they put their, they click on it, put their name and email and number in, and it goes right to us. And then we, uh, we're able to hit them with an the email list, or we're able to. Okay, get the so that's that's not just kind of blind spam. That's people directly have shown some version of interest, whether yes, whether they're serious or not. They've at least taken the five or ten seconds. Yeah, we're to not do that. we're not telemarketing people. We're okay. uh, we're literally somebody has to put in and say they want our service. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good thing. What have you um, what have you learned about uh, Facebook marketing? I've tried that a little bit, and it's it's very easy to put your your message in front of a few thousand eyes, but it's hard, or at least for me, it's hard to measure how effective it is to to turn uh, eyes and clicks into dollars. How do you how do you measure that, or how do you do that? So with us, it's pretty simple. You you how much money am I spending on Facebook? How many leads did I get? How many of those leads came in and showed up? How many of those leads convert into a membership? It all depends on what your business is. I think right now with Facebook, you can. You can go down to so niche you want to yeah. deliver on a customer. Like, I want men from the ages of 45 to 55 that likes the Astros and put my, you know, uh, how do you turn that into money? I guess it's your product and what you're trying to sell uh, and what you're trying to build. If you're trying to build a brand, it's hard to measure monetary value on building brand awareness versus I'm trying to sell. I think that's the biggest thing with Facebook is what you're trying to deliver. I remember, uh, I, I'm, I don't remember the story fully correctly, but I think I remember enough of it to make the point is uh, a couple years ago, I heard of a friend of a friend who had a discussion with one of his friends and he had a weird first name or weird middle name or something or another. And they were just two engineers nerdy talking and say, Hey man, I wish this product existed. So as a prank, a uh, friend one put a Facebook ad targeted a person with that name, weird, unique name in this zip code on the street. And it like that Facebook ad showed up only in his house. <laughs> and, and it was for this imaginary product that doesn't exist because he wished for. And it's, so the, that's kind of a silly example. But, but your point is right that Facebook can get super targeted. Yeah. And it, it, can, it can be really good if you know exactly who you're looking for. Yeah, you I can find that's, them. That's where you're going to find success on. That's why we know who our customer is and what they want and what, what they're looking for. We can, that's why we're getting such a uh, small uh, cost per acquisition on the leads. I think anybody can do that. They understand who their customer is. And I think going niche, and everybody thinks going niche. They think going women's only in this group of women, you're going to have rollover to other, uh, you know, you're going to have men, women that's older than what we're going for. You're going to have women that are younger. You're going to have women that are more overweight. You're going to have women that are more in shape. You're going to have that. Do you have but men that show up and just say, dang it, I want to be a part of it? Does <laughs> that happen? Yeah. Does that uh, happen? Well, we've had, we've had people that message, but most time they respect the community, you I know, see. for okay. the, you know, uh, of what we're trying to do. Yeah, I see. So you guys uh, started uh, both in Texas here and also in Florida. Exactly. But now you're in Oregon, you're in Washington, you're in California, you're in Alabama. How how scary is that to go from a small local area where you guys live to now it's, you know, a thousand miles away? How does yeah. that process work? So, I mean, I, what we had to learn the, the hard way was I think it's the interview session of making the franchise. You want to make sure the first person, especially somebody that that's far away from you, is really – understands the mission and vision what you're trying to do with your company so they can deliver that in that state and that community uh, but it is scary uh, to a point that somebody is operating your brand and, and when somebody walks into a store in Arizona or California uh, that it's a 
it's a direct reflection on what we're trying to build here. How so. often do you get a chance to, I mean, as someone in Arizona could completely go rogue and you may not know it for six months. How often do you get to each of the stores? So we try to stay in communication with them every month, and we're trying to get better on that. Going to the stores, we go to the stores at least once a year. Uh, just because us being a small franchise, it's hard to uh, stay on top of it as as much as that, but we we guarantee at least once a year. Okay. Uh, and then we try to stay in contact as much as we can. We do monthly trainings. We do support calls. And that's the thing when you go back to somebody that has the vision and the mission in, involved. When they have that, they're going to want to make sure they deliver as close to their product as possible. They really believe in your product. I think when you really get a franchisee that goes rogue is one, they never believed in the mission or vision. They were either trying to make a quick buck. I thought this was going to make them rich. Or two, they're more entrepreneur and saying, I see. you know, I can think, me selling hot dogs in the back of your fitness facility is going to make more money, and we don't want that either. I think, yeah. uh, you know. Um, but in, in a sense, though, it's got to be difficult to say, okay, entrepreneur, you're you're doing great, but don't do that greatness here, right? It's, yeah. There's got to be some some measure of we, we're glad we have you, but go away. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's definitely a balancing act, and we're definitely getting better at it. And any young franchisor that's listening to this, or somebody that wants to franchise their business, is you're not alone. If you start a franchise and the first couple of franchises, because most people start with family, you know. Sure. I thought we thought we were the only ones. First franchisee was Josh's dad. The second was a high school buddy of ours. Third one was one of our cousins. Okay. So we started out with family, and then we evolved very quickly. We always thought that we were this only one. We went to IFA uh, two years ago in San Antonio. What's IFA? Uh, International Franchise Association. Okay. So uh, it's where you go with all the franchisors, and we were still licensed at the time. We were thinking about franchising, and we heard all these stories from everybody else. We realized, oh, it's normal. <laughs> it's <laughs> totally normal, normal to have these issues. Yeah. You know. Uh, so a few episodes ago, uh, I don't remember exactly when, but it was earlier in season two, uh, we talked to a fellow who's got a VeloFix uh, franchise. So VeloFix is a mobile bicycle repair shop. So you, you call them up or you get on their website and they'll bring their van to your front door and repair your bike as you, as you wait. Uh, the cool thing about him, he was getting started. He, in fact, he was in soft opening. He hadn't officially opened yet when we talked. But he said that the uh, the network of franchisees had some, I don't know if it was a message board or if it was a commerce call, but they had a way where they could they could share lessons learned and, and bounce a lot of ideas off each other. And he said that was very helpful. Do you, your franchisees have something like that? So we, we, uh, oh, we don't technically have a official thing from us, but we do uh, want them to communicate with each other, especially locally. So we have a bunch of units here locally. We're trying to build out the Houston DMA right now aggressively as we can because we are stationed here now. We are mm -hmm. headquartered in the Woodlands. So we're trying to build out the DMA here. we got a unit in Spring. we got a unit coming up in Magnolia. we got a unit here in Friendswood in uh, Dickinson, Texas, we do, in Stafford. So we try to get them to communicate. And a lot of them, they go to lunch with each other and try to trade or, you know, speak about best practices. But uh, I think as much as we can communicate as a group, and what we want to do is we want to curate that conversation too. We want to help them when they – so they don't go rogue. So they, they understand, like, hey, why well, have this issue? Well, we, we'll look at the operations manual. Come back to here. We did solve that. Look at this. Have I you see. tried okay. this? Yep. So we try to make sure that, and if we don't have it, we need to make sure that we build something so we can have, so we try to communicate as much as we can. You mentioned uh, Dickinson, and those of uh, you listeners that are local certainly know of some of the flood history around Houston in the last year or so. Uh, Dickinson got completely smashed with the flooding during Hurricane Harvey. Um, those of you that are not around Houston have surely saw it in the news. They maybe don't know the direct impact, but but that store I'm just going to assume got flooded. They probably got tore up pretty good down there. So how, do, how does the corporate step in to say, okay, we understand and we're here to help, or maybe not? Yeah, so I mean, us, <clears throat> so we came in and we relieved all of them from their royalties, obviously for a set amount of months. Okay. Uh, we had uh, all of our gyms in Southeast Texas got flooded. Uh, gyms around here got flooded. Just it just shook up this whole area. And with us being yeah. strongly based here in Houston, it did it definitely did hurt us. In uh, that same year, we also had gyms in Florida that got hit by the hurricane. I don't remember what the name was, but luckily it wasn't direct hit. It just kind of okay. came off. And but we uh, and I think most brands do. And we had a uh, franchise uh, mentor with us, and we kind of asked her what should we do, and we relieved them of the royalties. We came down and helped them. We bought some equipment for one gym that was totally flooded. So we try to support them as much as we can because we are, their success is our success. It's not a me versus them. It's not me trying to squeeze every dollar out of them. It's definitely a partnership, and we want to make sure that they know we yeah. care. And most of your franchisees are owned by individuals, but uh, talk a bit about the uh, deal you got arranged with Paradigm Investment Group a little while back. Okay. Yeah, so uh, that was, uh, they came, they bet on the horse. They they came in early. They believed in what me and Josh were trying to do here. They uh they uh, they own 106 Hardys. They own some Jersey Mikes. They own Blaze Pizzas. Uh, wow, they're all over the place. They're, yeah, they're all over the place. And we were the first basically non-food uh, franchise they kind of bought into. And uh, they bought 30 units in Southern California. And they uh, we've got the first one opened up, and it's operating right now, and it's it's killing it. Uh, but uh, 
Where yeah. which town? It's, what it, town's it? It's in uh, Oceanside. Oceanside. Okay. And then how soon till all the other 29 get open? So they got a track to open up a certain amount. Uh, they're still trying in the process of looking and what they want to do if they want to start franchising, selling franchises out, or just be all corporate on. So we're I see we're working with that. So for either a company out there or individuals wanting to open a franchise, um, we're kind of in a reasonably good economic cycle right now, but that won't last for long. What is uh, if you had to if you had your magic wand and you could pick a point in the economic cycle? Where is the best time to actually open a franchise? Is it at the peak or is it at the valley where things are cheap? Maybe. Uh, I think right now. I think I think right now is a good time. Uh, I think, from what I can see, so I didn't start franchise until after the economy started picking back up from 2008, 2009, 2009. Uh, once it crashed, we started. 2013 so we started kind of up on the upswing of the economy uh -huh. we've been seeing a good economy uh, obviously there's going to be a correction with a bad economy it always does you see when the economy crashes it always corrects the market not just corrects the market it kind of prevents these uh lesser or young brands to collapse and so that's something that we're definitely aware of but we think our product's strong enough to last through in a bad economy i think maybe you might save on some real estate uh, prices. If there's a lot of closures, you might can get a deal. But, but I can imagine the the initial growth curve of trying to get your word out and trying to get new customers would be very difficult in a in a economic downturn. Uh, I, just a guess. I don't know. But as uh, customers are running from various stores or are cutting back on expenses, I would I would guess that's a difficult time to try to be gaining new customers. Yeah. But and I don't have a crystal ball, and I can't see the future. But yeah. if I had to say the best time to do it, I if I was looking at a franchise, I'd do it now. I mean, the economy is doing good. People are making money. The banks are loosening up. We are on the SBA list. I'm sure most franchises are. So the ability to get money, you don't have to put all of it down. I think the opportunity right now to be an entrepreneur or work for yourself, I think it's probably the best in history. Um, just for what we have available to us with the social media marketing with the ability to get customers in front of customers like never before uh the big brands are not on facebook yet you're not seeing a lot you know they're still trying to figure that out so okay. i think there's a yeah. time right now especially in your hometown wherever you're at to be able to capture uh, market share you can do that Let's break out of the program here for a few seconds to give a shout out to our sponsor, Puzzometry, the hardest puzzle you'll never solve. If you love working on challenging, unique, and beautiful mechanical puzzles, then you've just got to try Puzzometry. P-U-Z-Z-O-M-E-T-R-Y, Puzzometry.com. They have three different puzzles to choose from and all are for sale at Puzzometry.com. Check it out. You'll be glad that you did. Puzzometry can also be found on Twitter and Facebook. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Loom Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation. Before we get back to the program, I want to let you know that you can find all of the episodes of the Loom Innovation Podcast on our webpage, loominnovation.com. That's L-U-M innovation.com, loominnovation.com. We are also on iTunes as well as soundcloud.com. What if someone out there is wanting to start a franchise, but maybe fitness isn't quite their thing? From what you've seen and what you've learned, what is, um, I don't know, you can name names if you like, or maybe just general traits, but what are some really good franchises that would be good to get into? And then on the flip side, what are some, um, you probably don't want to name bad companies, but maybe some traits in franchise agreements that for people to avoid? Yeah, so <clears throat> definitely if you're going to get into a franchise, you need to call the other franchisees and do your due diligence. Because okay. you want to make sure the unique economics makes sense. You know what I'm saying? That you can make money at the storefront. If if I was going to open a franchise myself, I'd probably go with a service-based. What I mean service-based is uh, away from products. Uh, you don't have to worry about inventory and buying and exactly. selling all that. So, right? you know, yeah. if I had to go into a franchise system, it'd be more maybe some kind of home service-based, uh, you know, fitness-based. But, you know, uh, anything that's giving the customer a product without me having to tangibly go out and buy inventory yeah. where uh, I could scale up into a smaller area. Uh, Restoration One, those guys, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, so um, I but guess. I, but I'm a construction guy. I just come from an engineering construction background, so that's what I like. I like to work with my hands. So so happened to be in a women's only fitness franchise. There you go. So uh, Amazon has got, you know, they're all over the place. So they're, they're touching almost every single industry. But one part of that is that if a person's got an individual gizmo that they're selling, um, Pazometry, a sponsor of the show, uh, potentially a person could sell those products without actually having inventory in hand. You, you mail a truckload of them to Amazon and they just handle it all. 
So you're you're saying that even from a franchise model, that's pretty darn handy. You don't have to deal with buying and selling and inventory yeah. and all that. Well, and then also you don't have to worry about the big players in the game. Amazon, Amazon's figured a lot out. You know, I just yeah. I just read an article. They're going to get be able to get wine to you within an hour to your front door. Yeah, that's scary. They're, they're amazing in everything they touch. Exactly. It's you know, I have to assume one day that probably the government's going to come in and probably break Amazon apart just because it's, you know, I mean, they took it to Walmart. They're taking it to every big player in the game. Yeah. So right now, being inventory-based, besides food, but I, food never never really talked to me. I, mean, if you, I think somebody says ketchup has to run in your veins to, to want to do food, <laughs> and I just didn't run in mine. There you go. Uh, so, so talk about some of the, um, we've talked about franchises and we talked about your kind of overall, what is, uh, what is your business, but talk about some of the operation stuff. What are the, some of the facets of, of your, your business plan? How do you, how do you go about actually operating the business? So uh, I think uh, operating the business, one is we deliver the workouts to you. So it's, it's really done for you. And the way you look at our studio, it's set up is uh, we do a ton of torch workout. So that's our brand of workout we don't take zumba we don't do yoga classes we don't do, we do one thing we do it very well and that's where i find uh the more you can zero in on a product the more you can make it the best we try to deliver the best women's workout in the world and that's what we do we don't we don't teach you nutrition we don't teach you lifestyle we deliver the best women's only workout that we can possibly deliver in the 30 minutes so the uh, the engineer the the nerd around here nerd is a good word uh <laughs> the the nerd in you how do you how do you analyze that to say that yes we we absolutely have the best workout for what we're trying to accomplish yeah, do so you do any kind of metrics that actually measure that so uh we do a lot of our, of our workouts are heart based heart rate based workouts so we know how much calories you burn we know all that and the more the technology is being involved we even go to as far as have uh, as far as have leaderboards. Uh, I was going to ask about that. That's that's pretty neat concept. That uh, that gauges the way you walk outside. The that's one way we can deliver outside accountability. But uh, we try to get leaderboards attached to efforts burned in class. So we do have a heart rate monitor. It says how much effort you burned each class, how much how your heart rate got up. So we do a lot of uh, zone workouts based heart okay. rate based. Uh, but the way I looked at the workout is if you look at our workout, and this is engineering in me is. You know, we have two TVs set up on each wall, and each wall has a movement. And then from that, you go to the next station, the next space, and the next space. I see. And if we're able to come in and get people a great workout and very systemized workout, it's not coming in, I'm going to waste a lot of time. I'm going to try to figure it out. We put the workout movements up on the TV where you know what you're doing, and you can go in there and you can go to work. So you're just mimicking the motions of the – Exactly. The, we have okay. a coach there that's going to make sure you don't hurt yourself, that's supposed to get you enthused and, and keep the vibe of the class going and keep you jacked up. But we want to make it where you're not – we're not a waste of time. You come in, you're going to work for 30 minutes, and you're going to get out. It's not going to be I'm going to come in for 30 minutes, but 15 minutes I'm going to show the workout. Yeah, I, so I've read a little bit about the way you guys do leaderboards and, and with uh, – you, you've got an Apple Watch, I've got an Apple Watch. And so people can record all this stuff on their – on their personal devices, either their watches or their phones or whatever, and when they walk in the the store, the storefront, uh, they've got scanners that can somehow download their data instantly and say, "Hey, look how how cool I did this week!" And you yeah, know, Betty, you need to step up your game, that kind of thing. Exactly. Right? And yeah. We're trying to we're trying to bring community. Community is a big thing in yeah. fitness. Uh, one thing when we get older, as we get older, we have kids. We one we lose touch with a lot of our friends, so we don't have that place for us. Usually, our family is our place, which is great, but we do need sociability outside work, outside our family, that we come in to have that place. And we want to make sure that we build a community where people are having those fun competitions, yeah. making sure people are getting results. How did you go out developing the technology for that? You've got some engineering background, but uh, I'm guessing you didn't sit down for six months and make an app. Uh, so how yeah. did that process go? So we, we found out, uh, great partners within the fitness industry that were that had the same vision as us, that were working on different things that we said, hey, we're looking. We're the first ones to have that. You know, it was pretty cool for us. It was one, you know, maybe early as a franchise, we probably maybe shouldn't have put our resources into something like that. We probably should have maybe vend out. But that was really important to us to hold people accountable outside the facility. So we partnered up with some guys in the facility that was already building stuff like that for themselves and said, hey, can we have that? So it kind of goes back to the point I've heard from many people on the show here is that uh, do what you're good at, but recognize what you're not good at and then hire those things out. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. then the more you can... The more you can run lean, I like to run lean in business just because you're able to, I don't want to take a lot of money out. I don't. I want to live my life. I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to, you know, my goal is to make this the thousand units. You know, we're I looking see. we're looking to change a million lives by 2028. You know what I'm saying? So that's our goal. That's what we're trying to do. And so I want to be able to run lean, be able to put as much money back into the facility uh, or the, the business as possible to make sure we can grow and make sure we can hit that goal. That's definitely a good thing. Talk about uh, in, in engineering. And with the most of the other guests I've had on here, talk about uh, iterating. You you try one idea and it didn't work, so you tweak and you try again. And then, you know, so how yeah. how is that applied to your business? Uh, iterating new ideas and, and innovating. I think that's I think it's every business. You know, if yeah. you at, if you looked at us 
a year ago, you know, a year and a half ago, we had to stop what we were doing. We had to redo all of branding. We had to redo our concept, redo everything. I think the entire – you better get okay with it. If you're going to be in business for yourself, you better be okay with trying things out, changing, trying things out and changing, being able to pivot. I think it's it, – to be a good leader, you have to be decisive, but you have to have recognized – Hey, maybe I didn't make. Maybe I made not the wrong decision, but the decision should be made like this, and yeah, we need to pivot yeah. very quickly. And that gets frustrated for a team that are working, and then you're like, "Hey, hold on, stop the presses. We got to do this now." Well, I've been working on this for three months, but that's something you have to do as a leader. That's something you have to do as a business. Be like, "Okay, I understand that we spent all of our time to this, but the market didn't react to this. Let's yeah. go try this." So you mentioned earlier having a goal of changing a million lives by 2028, 10 years from now. Uh, that's that's definitely good to have a goal. Who um, it may have been Dave Ramsey as well that had the phrase of the best way to uh, to not meet a goal is to not have one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other kind of goals do you have that are kind of big picture like that that gives you the the guidance to know how to iterate or know when to stop stop trying an idea and go try something else? Yeah, so we uh, we ha- we do uh, the EOS the entrepreneurial operating system. We do that internally. Okay. With our so we meet every ninety days and we set our goals for the quarter. Well, basically rocks. So we have an annual planning coming up December 12th to the 14th. We'll come down and we'll look at the year as a whole, and then we'll lay out our plan for the next year. Okay. That kind of keeps us on track. So every 90 days we'll meet back up, we'll set new goals, and what that does is keep us – it's kind of like any other business in the engineering field when the project's coming to an end. You start seeing every all the work start getting done there yeah. in the middle. It's kind yeah, of a little right. time. Yep. You know? So we want to make sure that we stay in front of that. So every 90 days we set new rocks, new goals, and you start seeing – that line every month things are getting done it's pushing the boulder down yeah. and we can reset and pivot and not 90 days you can see if something's working not working we need to put some more money towards it so it kind of allows us to to get in front of that i uh i learned that uh it's kind of boring in the middle sometimes uh lesson with uh kickstarter when i had posometry on kickstarter and it got funded at 20 21 dollars and uh you're right you you start up a, a project and you get a lot of momentum right out of the gates mm-hmm. and then it kind of gets kind of slow for a while then a lot of momentum right at the end and so when I uh, got the $21,000 funding on Kickstarter, that was a very short Kickstarter. It was like 11 days. There, there was no middle. It was all exciting yeah. at the beginning and exciting at the end. There was no middle. I eliminated the middle. Absolutely. And it, it worked out really well. It's it pretty good. Uh, talk about, you, you mentioned branding a little bit ago. Talk about the, some of the things you've learned about, about branding and, uh, and you changed your name a few years ago um, to the current name. And how, how do you kind of navigate those waters of, of branding? Well, I think when you go to... To name a product or name a business or to brand, I think one you gotta know what you're for. You know, Delta Life Fitness don't really have nothing to do with women's fitness, does it? Uh, but when he named it, it meant life change. Delta, yeah. you know, change your life. Uh, but I think with branding, and I'm not a marketing guy, you know, uh, but with branding and messaging, you gotta be clear on. It's kind of like setting a goal. You know where you want to go. You know who you're going for, and you're able to set and make sure that everything kind of molds into that. Uh, and I think it's just messaging. I think, you know, I'm trying to uh, kind of challenge myself this year, 2019, to kind of build more of a personal brand and kind of get my messaging personally because, you know, <clears throat> I'm kind of, you know, I'm a southern, small town, southern guy. Uh, I think uh, I come from a working class family. I got a working background. I got two kids, a wife. I quit my job when I had two kids and a wife making six mm-hmm. figures. I think my story can resonate with a lot of guys right now sitting in a cubicle that wants to be an entrepreneur that, that don't think they can take that chance. And uh, so I'm going to try to build some messaging and some branding around that. But I think at the end of the day, that's all we have is our brand. So we yeah, got to make sure uh, we take care of it. That was a very similar story to what I heard from Jason with Velofix, uh, the the uh, mobile bicycle re- repair shop. He had corporate life and desk job, and then he just finally said to hell with it one day and went on and just. It, it, sometimes you got to. Yeah. But you got to make sure that you, you can't just do it tomorrow when you don't have nothing. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, you got to start slow. And when you feel like, one, I think you start slow and you look at your personal income and can I cut back and run lean? You know, if you can't, if you don't, if it's uncomfortable for your wife, you got to get on the same page with your wife too. Hey, we got to cut out all this stuff for the next yeah. three years. Yeah. But this is my vision. This is where I think I'm going to go. And my wife was okay with it. My wife's a trooper. I got to support her on that. She, sure. uh, you know, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here. Very good. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, earlier some uh, Facebook ads and a few other ways to do social media advertising. What other more traditional ways of ad advertising have you tried and maybe worked or didn't work? So I think traditionally wise, I think. So it worked, you know. I think I think everything works at a certain scale. Okay. It's all what you're trying to deliver on. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not big on door to door knocking. I'm not big on door knockers. I think I think everything works at a what you're willing to spend it on. I think it's easier for me to spend money on Facebook, grab the analytical data, and and see it what I'm making for it. But I think branding wise or marketing wise, direct mail, 
going to the chamber networking, I think building your network, I watched my business partner build his network. He did a great job of it. It's not really my forte. I'm more of an introverted kind of guy. I like to build deep one-on-one relationships and really get down into it. He's okay. he's really good at networking. He's built a great network here locally. So uh, you mentioned chamber of commerce. That's, yeah. So that's the thing I'd like to do a whole show on is just how, how that uh, – kind of bureaucratic thing helps because I've heard a lot of people say that it's very helpful but but I think most people just think it's ah it's just another part of the city government or something but it's yeah. really not it's, it seems to be very yeah, a very no, helpful hey, thing. He's, he's got in with being a diplomat it really made a lot of great connections a lot of good relationships out of the chamber um, I'm, I'm impressed on how it delivered so I think if you're a young business right now and you're about to start up getting involved in the chamber not just just show up to a meeting and say, hey, this is who I am and leaving, you got to really get in there and be a part of it. People want to okay. do business with people they know, like, and trust. So you got to make sure that you get to that level with as many people as possible. And then they'll recommend you out because everybody's – you're more likely to go to a business that your friend recommended you. Sure, yeah. Because absolutely. you know, like, and trust him. Yeah, absolutely. So Back to the uh, advertising. Have you tried uh, billboards, TV, and radio, the, the traditional kind of big three, have, or even maybe even newspapers? Do those so work anymore? Where do, where do people spend most of their time out? <laughs> of course, your phone. Your yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah. So that's, it'd be hard for me to spend money, unless I'm a, on the fast food restaurant on the side of the freeway, where it's an initial or gas station. If I'm on the freeway, because most time I'll look, you know, the food signs coming up, where do I want to stop and eat? I'll look at that on the billboard. Me, yeah. I'm not going to use a billboard at all. A uh, newspaper, uh, if you're in a smaller community where a lot of people get the newspaper and it gets read a lot, maybe so. Uh, I'd be more interested if I went away from social media, be more strategic alliances, getting with other businesses in the community, working those relationships, trying to figure out some way I can incentivize them to send people my way. Uh, I like the uh, drop boxes where people fill things out, put it in to win something. You can gather names and phone numbers like that. That's Yeah, that's good way. That's low cost. I mean, it's low cost. The, only, exactly. the only cost is the cost of a box. So, yeah, that's, that's and then go get with those strategic alliances and, uh, and work in those. It, borrow other people's lists. Go to influencers in your community. Uh, you know, we hear influencers online, but you can go to influencers in your community. Somebody that uh, you know is the number one business, say, hey, do you have an email list? Yeah. Hey, do you mind sending an email out for me with 15% off to my gym membership? Sure. And yeah. then I'll do the same for you and try to trade your services like that. I did a lot of that uh, when I owned my own gym where I was working – Businesses that were similar to mine, women-owned or women-operated businesses that are like boutiques or whatever that had an email list, I would use their emails list and they would use mine. That happens on uh, Kickstarter. I don't know if you've ever done a Kickstarter project, but but uh, if you back a, a, a big project that gets funded at half a million dollars or some crazy big thing, they'll send out their updates a couple times per week. And at the bottom of those, uh, after they've told their story, at the bottom they'll say, hey, and we also recommend this other product. And they're doing the exact same thing you just described. They're basically swapping each other's distribution lists exactly. and putting a little spam at the bottom of the email. And, and, and it works well. Yeah, that business, if you, you frequent a business and they know your name and they're recommending this other this other product that you might be interested in, you're going to give it a try. So I think, yeah. especially locally, it's really powerful locally in a small group that you can leverage people like that, yeah. other people's network. A couple of months ago, just as an experiment, I didn't really expect any return out of it. Uh, I just did it purely for curiosity. But I got on uh, FlipHound.com, uh, and FlipHound is uh, a company that... I guess I don't know fully their affiliation, but they control the purchasing of digital billboards. So you can go into FlipHound.com, and there's, I don't know, 50 or 100 or 200 digital billboards throughout the country that you can you can go in there and see what inventory is available for you to buy ads. And and I found that it was kind of a neat uh, marriage of new technology where you're ordering online, but mm -hmm. it's the old-school billboards. It's, it's billboards yeah. that have been along the road for 70 years or 100 years. And uh, that's, that's kind of a thing I, w I want to dig into and, and learn a little bit more about. But but it's it's neat where you can change your ad every five or ten seconds, so 30 seconds on those billboards and where you get a lot of messages up. But didn't know if you tried anything like that. Yeah, but I just don't know how many eyes yeah. versus this right now. I, it, now, this is eventually going to get crowded. The, the cell phone, I'm pointing at my cell phone. I know they can't see it. Yeah. But uh, Facebook, Instagram, eventually going to get crowded. And when that gets crowded, all that money that went to the billboards are going to go to Facebook. And that's when those billboard prices are going to come down. And when they come down to a certain price, maybe it, hey, it's worth it. You know? I was surprised that the, when I was looking at those, I, some of the digital billboards around here, there's there's one just two or three miles from here on Eager Bay Boulevard. Listeners, you surely don't know where that is. Another one up in Baytown, Texas. But the one that I found that was cheap for like $200 a week um, was up in Greenville, Texas, just east of Dallas. So I actually bought a time slot on there for for 200 bucks a week for a full slot, and I bought half a slot or something just oh, to nice. try it, just to see how it works. Yeah, no, and, and, and I recommend that. Like, yeah, I, just, you know, I'm more comfortable with, with yeah. social media marketing right now than I am that, but I think this is going to get crowded. Right now, we're still early in it. Right now, you're yeah. still getting pretty cheap cost per click. I think uh, if I'm if I'm listening right now and I'm looking for something to 
do on a side hustle, maybe getting into social media marketing, understanding that. I know that's a whole thing, man. That's, that's, you know, I need to do a whole show just on that, how, yeah, to, how to crack that It's nut. very interesting and it's very, it's very lucrative because everybody wants to do it. Everybody yeah. needs it. Absolutely. What's, uh, uh, what are some of the hardest hurdles you've had in the last eight or nine years doing this? What, what's the one thing that just nearly kicked your butt? So personal just growth, honestly. Like uh, the business is only going to be as good as, as, as me and my business partner are. And then even like so when I quit and when I quit my job and did this full time, and I was not the guy I am today. And uh, yep. business will humble you. You know, you're, you'll have – a lot of times you'll have early success and you'll start walking around like, man. King of the world. Yeah, I'm king of the world. Nothing's going to stop me. I promise you it will humble you. Uh, but just really uh, – I mean, I hate to bring it back to me, but I, anybody listening, if you're going to do great things, if you're going to challenge yourself, getting in front of that. Uh, and I understand OJT on the job training is the best you can get. That's kind of where I'm at. But honestly – Getting books, finding mentors, uh, that's probably helped us. Probably jumped a lot more hurdles than we ever it, – it's fast-tracked us as we always had a mentor, our coach. We always paid somebody to hold us accountable and then kind of guide us around those obstacles. You're doing doing good at hitting my bullet points. I was going to ask about uh, mentors and books right there. So you, <laughs> you hit them both. What are uh, You mentioned a book earlier. Uh, what are some of the books that you read that have helped, and, and how do you go about finding the mentors that are – that are helpful to you? Yeah, so uh, the books I, I recommend is uh, really kind of guided our business. One was The Go-Giver by uh, Bob Berg. Uh, I really like the book. It's a quick read. The, go, read the Go-Getter? The Go-Giver. Go-Giver. Yeah, he's, okay. got, he's got to come up now, uh, but The Go-Giver, the, the first one, I read that. It kind of helped me with customer, customer service and, and dealing with a customer and understanding that. Uh, being in engineering, I wasn't the best at that, you know, yeah, yeah. but uh, I learned how to get better at it. Uh, another book is... Uh, Traction, that's what we kind of the EOS system. If you're running an organization, you need structure. Traction's uh, a good book. How about Tipping Point? Have you read Tipping Point no, by sir. Malcolm Gladwell? No, sir. Uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting that it might, it might fit in. Uh, it's talking about social trends about uh, um, where if a new product or new service or new gizmo comes along in society that uh, is struggling along, struggling along until one magic thing happens. And then oh, the yeah. Tipping Point thing just blows up to get very popular. Yeah, so. I think, uh, you know, it's like anything else, I think, uh, taking care of your first initial customers, you know, yep. even with the podcast, if you're trying to create a social media brand, if you're trying to create a clothing brand, whatever you're trying to really put the love and passion in your first customers. We have a tendency to, and this is just, uh, I'm a millennial, I have a tendency to want things now, Yeah. Uh, you know, and being patient and taking care of your small, like you take care of your small group, and that group's going to grow. You take care of those guys. Uh, it's being patient. That's one thing I can recommend is really being patient in it. Like, I know we all want it now. Like, hey, I, I hate my job. Yeah. I don't want to be here no more. How do I get out of it? You're not going to get out of it tomorrow. But yeah. being patient, understanding your building blocks, seeing where you want to go, but understanding it's going to take a long time to be there. It's uh, weird that you said take care of your uh, customers because folks at home, you can't see this. But I'm holding up a small shape of Texas thing, about three or four inches wide, and I'm using it today. We're outside for the first time recording outside. And I didn't know if it was going to be windy, so I brought this along as a paperweight in case the wind was blowing. Turns out it's not windy, so I didn't need it. But this is actually made from uh, resin, and a third of it is pecan shells from Birdall Pecan. I did a show with Birdall Pecan oh, just nice. outside of Austin a couple weeks ago. And I had them send me some pecan shells just because I was going to make some things. I didn't know what I was going to make when I asked for them, yeah. but this is one of the things. So um, She doesn't know it, but she's got one of these in the mail she'll get tomorrow. So, oh, uh, nice. so I sent, sent one to her over at Beardall, Beardall Pecans. But, yeah, yeah, just take care take care of your customers. You're right. Uh, we mentioned a minute ago about uh, some of the hurdles that kind of kicked your butt. But on the flip side, what are some of the things where you just finally said, wow, I really made it. This is, this is you know, we're, we're really kind of cruising here now. Yeah. Uh, man, I think it was when we, we stopped in early 2007. We moved from Florida to Houston. We rebuilt everything. And I think, to, you know, really – Building our first studio in spring, we never make it. Like we're always there's always something when you're running a business. It's never there's never a point where hey the the sky's blue, the wind's not blowing and it's smooth sailing. There's never that. But I think when we built our first studio, watching it come together, not our first studio, but our first that we revamped everything um, in spring. Uh, first of this year was our new model. If you I'm pointing at the brochure right <laughs> here, but uh, if you go to our website deltalifefitness.com, you can kind of see our branding and stuff. When we all that came together. It was really kind of the moment where we're like, okay, the, everything we had in our heads finally here. You know, we cash flowed this whole thing. It was a sell, build, bootstrap type of thing, even That's up good. to this point. Yeah. Um, 
And that, that's kind of where I realized when it all came together and it was like, okay, what we envisioned over these years, all the hard work, all the mistakes, it's, all the learning. It's finally came, coming together. It's kind of coming together. Very cool. And uh, speaking of coming together, our uh, time is about up. We're about uh, 50 minutes into this thing. Uh, give a shout out again for your websites, your social media, and your contact information. And any last shout out of something we may have missed? Yeah, so uh, websites, deltalifefitness.com. Uh, you can go in there. You can learn about our franchise. You can see if you're close to one of our gyms, you can schedule a class. Uh, we have, you can see where all of our facilities are in Texas, Florida. Uh, we got some in Oregon, California. Uh, so you can check those out. If you're interested in opening a franchise, you can put your information in there. And we'll get, we'll get a hold of you. Um, you can contact me on fe- uh, Facebook at Robbie Marlowe, R-O-B-B-Y-M-A-R-L-O-W. And then uh, same thing on Instagram. I'm trying to grow my Instagram followers, actually. So okay. if y'all can follow me on Instagram, I want to get to 1,000 followers by the end of this year. Uh, so I'm really trying to do a big Instagram push uh, on my personal side of trying to just get some followers. And then trying to do some testing there on on how can I better help people when they ask me. Yeah, see, seeing what works and what doesn't. Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily know how you how – you, uh, get more followers on Instagram, so I'm trying to figure that <laughs> it's, out. It's, it's that whole social media <laughs> thing. I think we're all t- too old to learn that. Uh, <laughs> I've, tr- but, I've tried, uh, but it's hard. It is. It is hard. I'm waiting for my little girl to get to get to the age where she can tell me how to do it. Yeah, I'm trying to get a, a following a, as well on my various social media accounts. Like like uh, yesterday, I put a message out. I think it may have been this morning. I don't remember. But I said I'm, I, I'm, I'm doing a recording today with uh, a fellow who's got a, f- a franchise for uh, fitness places. Do you have any questions? So that's where someone could read that and say, hey, well, I want to ask this. And so, so if you're out there, follow this podcast on Facebook and, and, and Twitter and all that, and, and you can participate in those Q's and A's and upcoming shows. But, but yeah. you're, you're right. It's difficult to do that. It's difficult to no, build absolutely. that. Yeah. It's work. It's work. Like I've been, I, I, I try to post on Instagram as much as I can, but it's like uh, that Instagram's got me woofed right now on I'm really trying to understand my messaging and my brand and who, what, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to tell the world and make sure that it lines up with uh, everything we have going on. Because we each are all, all four of the partners that I have in my business, uh, we all have our strong suits and what we're good at and what we're not. And I'm trying to figure out what my messaging is, what I'm good at. So if, if y'all can, go on there and give me a like on Instagram and help me out. And how do you, what's your, your, your account name on <laughs> Instagram? Robbie Marlowe at DLF. Okay. Very cool. Robbie Marlowe at DLF. Well, thanks, Robbie, for being here. And this has been uh, been a pretty cool show. I've learned a lot, actually. And, man, what a great, great uh, evening here. We are in the park in League City. Yeah, no, it's nice. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, question you had about mentors. Uh, yeah. I'll hit on that real quick. Yeah. Uh, we went and actually paid for our mentors. But I think uh, when you go out with a giving hand and when you want to help people and you really want to help people, I think that's when you'll find mentors. If you go out trying to take, 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 people aren't willing to give, give, give. And if you go out with a giving hand, I think people will be more let down and more open to you. And honestly, podcasts, I listen to podcasts all the time. Yeah. Like uh, I've got my degree. I, I got an associate's in applied science. I don't have a business degree. I don't have I'm not from Harvard or Stanford. I'm a good old boy from a community college, uh, you know, and really learned to trade. Uh, but what I got my education was on YouTube, uh, podcast, learning on the job. I think, and I think right now where we're at, I mean, it's nice to have the brand of a university behind you, but it's not needed to be successful. Yeah, you that's know. right. Don't let that scare you. Don't let that stop you from taking the chance and living the life of your living your dream life. There you go. Speaking of leave, living your dream life, we're about to be on the New Year's. Uh, 2019 is just around the corner. Give us some uh, words of wisdom about how to go out and get in shape and join a gym and uh, and get her done next year. Yeah, I think well, it's just like everybody else. We always get excited at the New Year. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. I think really setting your goals and understand that setting miniature goals like within the week. Okay, I, you know, I, I go out and say I'm going to lose 30 pounds, 40 pounds. It's a very mountain goal. Yeah. But hey, I'm going to work out three times this week. That's very attainable and very, you can yeah. track that. So I think setting sub goals to your massive goal, you gotta have a massive goal. You gotta have this North Star we live by. But I think, you know, I'm gonna, and, and we always have the uh, mindset of going to extreme. So I'm gonna go from eating all this junk to I'm just gonna eat salads. And about, <laughs> about a weekend, yeah, that doesn't you work. say, no, you say, this is yeah. terrible. I don't wanna do it. Yeah. So take it in stages. Say, month of January, I'm gonna eat three times a week, very healthy meals. For lunch or my lunch, I'm gonna pack my lunch, pre-pack my lunch, and eat a healthy lunch. But I'm gonna eat whatever I want with the family and dinner. Okay. Okay. And then yeah. once you start building that habit, then in February, well, I'm gonna start eating three healthy dinners plus my healthy lunch. Once you start building Slow that habit, gradual changes, yeah. Exactly. And then you'll come at the end of the next year and you'll lose that 30 pounds and you can move on to the next goal. What I found also is that it actually helps to, to take the small step of just writing it down, writing down your goal. Put exactly. it on a post-it note. Write it, it and tell somebody. 
My yeah, wife's my wife's the number one person that will hold me accountable to it. Like I obviously I don't even want to tell her anything because she'll she'll remind me of it. Like hey, you said you wanted to get in shape, but you're eating a Snickers bar. <laughs> you're not living what you're supposed to. Well, I want to be in the shape of a Snickers bar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. But she she definitely lets me know about it. She's my number one uh, accountability holder. Very cool. Well, if you're out there listening, uh, when January one rolls around, go uh, go find the nearest Delta Life Fitness near you and join up and support these guys. They're out. Trying to get her done and uh, get a new franchise up and up and running and uh, and trying to do this whole entrepreneurial spirit thing. Very yeah, no, cool. Absolutely. Thank you, Robbie and Marlo, for being on the show. I'm glad glad you're here and I've, I've learned plenty and hopefully the listeners have too. Yeah, I hope so. And like I said, hit me up on Facebook. You can email me at Robbie at DeltaLifeFitness.com. Uh, I'll answer the emails if anybody's had any questions. But uh, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I always enjoy jumping on podcasts. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Fox, and thank you for listening to the Luminovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live.